when I look back at that moment in time in 1971 when um, I, I fractured my neck, I could have easily have, have ended up in a wheelchair. And so from that moment in time, I believe that I, I just try and live what I can um, do now. I push my body. I can see a country by bicycle and, you know, bicycling is a, is a pad of you. Thank you for taking the time to listen and download this episode of the Hard as Nails podcast brought to you by Outsider.ie, Islands Adventure Magazine. This 14th episode is proudly sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin, who has been Islands' go-to shop for adventurers and outdoor enthusiasts looking for great gear, apparel and expert tips for the last 42 years. No matter how big or small your adventure might be, Great Outdoors always strive to give you the best advice to help you achieve your goals, reach your final destination and make it an experience to treasure. Once you're done listening to this podcast, go visit their website, www.greatoutdoors.ie. Our guest is one remarkable human being. For most of his life, he has struggled with spinal problems before he endured extensive surgery. This, however, has not stopped him from doing what he loves, which is cycling the world from New Zealand to Japan and all across Europe. He has many stories from his adventures and joins us to share some of them. It's Paul Franklin. Paul, thank you for joining us on the Hard as Nails podcast. It's uh, such a privilege to have you on and to chat about your incredible journey both on and off the bike. Mm, thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. It's our pleasure. Now, now, Paul, you're known to many as Spinal Fusion Guy on a Bike. But be, before we get to the cycling part, can I take you back to the 30th of November 1971, a date that will stand out in your mind for the rest of your life. The incident as a teenager which uh, led you to your spinal problems. Please could you share with our listeners what exactly happened on that day? I was born in New Zealand but I, I, I was educated in Wales in the UK mm-hmm. and um, I, I, was, I was playing in a school field um, uh, well, 13 at the time, mm-hmm. playing a game called Piggyback and you had mm-hmm. somebody on your back and um, you know, you fight each other to see it can fall on the ground. Yeah, it was the playtime on the play field, and um, the grass was a bit slippy from memory, and um, I fell forward onto my forehead mm. with the guy on the back of my back. He was quite a big guy, mm-hmm. and um, I fractured my neck at C3. Yeah. Um, while I was on the ground, of course, you've got to think, oh, this is back in the 70s, where first aid probably wasn't the best. Mm. And um, I remember shouting, my neck, my neck, and I don't know if I moved the satchel underneath my head. I'm not quite sure. But the lads that were involved went to get the school teacher on duty at the time. And um, he actually picked me up rather than leave me on the ground and carried me into the school to call the ambulance. And then I was sent straight to hospital. And then they did all the tests on me, which they do for spinal injuries. Mm. And I just wished I had broken my leg rather than fractured my neck. Wow. And... Um, but yeah, I wore a collar then in school for nearly you know, just under two years. Mm. But yes, that was that's what happened on the day. Wow. Well, it's an extremely difficult, life-threatening event to have to deal with. I mean, particularly as a teenager. You wore neck brace for nearly two years, as you mentioned. Did you have much support during that time? Or were you subjected to, I don't know, any torment or bullying from the other kids? I don't know about the word tor- torment. Like, mm-hmm. I was called Frankenstein 
mm. which just happens to match with my name, mm-hmm. um, Frankenstein and Brasnik. Sometimes what does it do? Does it change us? Does it say, right, you know, I'm going to really get on and change it rather than and actually affecting me? I can't really say that, you know, I, I, I got really affected negatively from it. Mm-hmm. My dad left home when I was nine. So, mm. I, you know, I, I grew up with my brother, who's four years younger than me, and my mum. So back then, um, yeah, I... I, do, I'm, I must confess that I, it, it, it didn't really affect me in, 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 in a, you know, I didn't go into a depression or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But then <laughs> I was the only one in the school wearing a collar. Oh, no, I wasn't, actually. Um, from memory, <laughs> I think there was another girl. But, um, yeah, I don't think it affected me. Well, that's uh, good to hear. Now, Paul, you've gone through your life now as an adult with these back problems. And then in the 2000, things started going from bad to worse. You experienced a severe pain, uh, numbness in your arms and fingers and, and losing feeling from your waist down. Over these past 18 years, can you explain the different procedures, uh, operations that you've had and how many you've undergone up until now? I had my neck injury in 71. Um, I fractured my left fibula uh, parachuting in 1980. Um, In 1999, I had my right knee operated on. And then in 2000, I had my colpectomy that was uh, in my neck um, because I was losing feelings in my little finger and uh, C3, etc. I had what's termed as a swan's neck, and my spinal cord was um, touching my vertebra, mm. and that's when they fused my C2, 3, and 4. And then um, I had my both shoulders operated on in 2002, and then I had my lower back uh, fused L5 to S1 in um, 2014. Mm-hmm. Those were my, yeah, those are my operations or, or whatever. Mm. There's more detail in yeah. my... Advanced osteoarthritis in my neck, etc. Mm-hmm. But um, those were—that's just a brief summary yeah. of what I've had done. Incredible. Well, moving on from the multiple procedures that you have had done, and let's look at the cycling now. I mean, why the sport in particular, and why do you enjoy taking on these incredibly long distances, which is known as bicycle touring? I could trace it back to actually pre-fracture, um, where. Um, just for those people who are listening in the UK who grew up in the 60s and 70s, there was an exam called the 11 plus. If you passed this exam, you got into, a, a, if I could say, <laughs> a more intelligent school mm-hmm. and then uh, and so on. My mother, who was a school teacher at the time, said, you know, like, you know, if you pass 11 plus, you'll get a brand new bicycle. I failed. <laughs> <laughs> and dear mum at the time... Um, my brother hadn't got a bike, and I hadn't had one for a long time. And um, the day I walked into the hallway, and there was this brand-new bike. Um, sadly, who my brother might be listening later on, he, he got a second-hand bike, and I got my brand-new uh, <laughs> bike. And um, from then on, the freedom of just cycling. Um, you know, we went off, and of course, in those days, you know, the parents, you, you, well, we grew up being outdoorsy and, and exercising and just, you know, being outdoors. And, of course, back then, um, parents were having problems trying to get you inside. Um, it might be slightly different today, mm-hmm. trying to get kids outside. <laughs> so it, it just released us, and we just went off until it was dark. And um, so cycling from even the age of 11 mm-hmm. um, just became a part of, of, of me, really. And um, my brother also, he does full Ironmans wow. at the age of 55 or whatever. So, um, wow. And so cycling, especially more so for 
um, my spinal things. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I find, um, I think we get into that later on in terms of therapy and mm-hmm. and exercise. That's the thing is no matter what, somehow it's in my brother's and myself's DNA and my father's DNA as well. Mm-hmm. That is like we exercise no matter what, you know. You can yeah. go through all, it's so much, but you've you just got to get out and do something, mm-hmm. exercise, move. That's amazing how long you've actually been cycling for now, back from 11 years old and uh, now you're in your, your 60s. But your amazing journey as an endurance cyclist, uh, Paul, it started off in New Zealand and has taken you far and wide across the globe over the years. Which are some of the countries which stand out the most for you and for what reason? Pre Before my lower back, I did mm-hmm. the South Island of New Zealand. I, I was working at the time. I could take time off and then um, I did two one-month tours well of course back then thinking one month is quite a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then my boss said to me do you think i've bitten off more than what i can chew but then how do you know you've bitten off more than what you can chew unless you actually attempt it and, and get onto it but then uh, on my second trip in new zealand i was having lower bank problems and um and then of course the issue came up anyway so then um, i met this lady she was cycling the length of new zealand and um it was just that time where you know we fell in love and then i found out i could take a year off work without pay and my mother had passed away so then suddenly like i got this opportunity of wow we had a world map on the floor Mm. Uh, little did i know what (laughs) this lady had done for elizabeth who'd done uh, two and a half years on her own across quite a lot of the about 17 countries before she met me And then suddenly you've got this world in front of me. I'm thinking, <laughs> where do I go? But in terms of like the number of countries, which is 20 now, um, I think including my latest one in Norway, the two countries that surprise me the most in that aspect, I, I would say Japan and Ireland. In the big picture, you know, not many people go to Japan. Like, mm. And especially for cycle touring, um, we went in the summertime, which was extremely hot. But it's it's a country where I would think I would never realize it actually existed. It's the politeness of it all and, and just the, just everything. You know, even mm-hmm. cycling through major cities like Sapporo, Tokyo, and Yokohama, thinking this is, these are big cities. To actually pinpoint countries is actually quite is very difficult because you've got different people, culture, religions, lifestyle, food, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing of is it a Muslim country or is it more, should we say, when I mean by Christian background orientated mm-hmm. and, and all that type of stuff, or Catholic background. So it, that's the great learning curve of cycle touring mm-hmm. um, as you travel. But Ireland has got the, pe- the people as well make the country, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if I had to pick two, it would probably be Japan and Ireland. Wonderful. Well, from what I understand, Paul, each uh, bicycle tour you go on, it's not a race or a challenge of any kind to uh, try break some record. So with that said, do you do any sort of physical training before each tour you go on? When I lived in New Zealand before, I started doing more, um, when I'm in the world of global cycle touring, um, I, I commuted to work anyway by bicycle. Mm-hmm. So, it's become a part of my my genre, my DNA, where I'm biking to work every day, and that was like eight to ten kilometers to work, and then ten k back, doing that mm-hmm. every day for well for many, many, many years. So it, it becomes a part of it. And um, in terms of training for it, then in essence, that is what I'm doing. I'm actually training for a tour. Mm-hmm. Um, the strange thing is <laughs> when I look back and um, when I'm in my uh, place now in the cottage in Ireland, and um, 
I, I went to last winter in Ireland and didn't cycle a great deal mm-hmm. for six months. And then suddenly I'm in Norway and I'm cycling three and a half thousand kilometers. And, <laughs> and, and so, um, there wasn't a great deal, but I firmly believe in muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Not to say you just don't do anything, but, um, if your body is used to it and you've been off it for a certain period of time, mm. then it does kick in and it had to kick in because <laughs> I committed to it yeah. um, in that aspect of things. So in essence, cycling to work, it's not as if I didn't do any cycling, you know, or I was new to it mm. or brand new. And, um, and then suddenly like I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, Paul, I've seen some of the pictures of you on your amazing journeys and adventures. And I've, I've seen your bike. You carry quite a bit of a load uh, to, to get around and to complete each tour. What are some of the necessities that you often find you pack? My bike is a heavy bike. It's a, it's a steel bike. It's mm-hmm. an American Shirley bike. When I bought it in New Zealand, there wasn't a great, there's not a great deal of choice of, of stuff in New Zealand to get proper touring bike i did tour on a, another bike prior to that mm-hmm. um on my new zealand one. but when i was going to go bigger then i thought well you know i, I want a, a sort of a more decent good bike and so that's quite heavy to start with i must confess to the to the listeners that yeah i do like my comforts <laughs> <laughs> and um because of my my spinal bits then i have a more comfortable mat it's an expert mat it's a down mat that pumps up mm-hmm. and it's it's much thicker. When I did my pre-tours before my pre-offs, anyway, I had a you know a, a much thinner mat, but I found that I just couldn't sleep with well, after my spinal surgeries anyway with with that. And then I have an X-bed pillow mm. that's got a filling on it and it pumps up. I, I take more things that uh, a bit more aiding for me when I when I sleep and mm. and they may be heavier, so I take a heavier bike. So I sacrifice. I do like my my tent is a bit bigger than a normal solo person's tent, but mm. um, I had no choice on that. I mean, when I went around Ireland, I took my, well, I only had one tent anyway, and then it was well worth it taking it. Like, I do like that, that thing of comfort. So, yeah, and then, of course, and there's the food, and then there's mm. all the other, then there's the clothes you're going to take. It's just organizing the bike. Yeah. Well, speaking about organizing, Paul, before you go on a tour, do you plan out exactly where you're going to go, the route you're going to follow, where you're going to sleep over? Is everything set out exactly as the way you want it to be, or do you just take it as it comes? It's a very good question. I don't. I, I In essence, most of the time, I just follow the road. Like the, a lot of the times that when you finish the day, you're looking ahead, and especially my Norway trip, because you've got tunnels and you've got ferries. So some uh, some tunnels you can't cycle through, mm-hmm. so you've got to try and look ahead for that. And um, there's the ferry issue. I took 25 ferries in Norway. <laughs> and um, I, I have met people who plan, you know, um, but they, they may be restricted in time, effort and money or whatever. And um, although it is nice to know, okay, then if you, uh, there's not many times actually in uh, the number of years that I've done it where I've actually booked ahead or rang ahead and said, yeah, I, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. It's just some idea um, of, you know, where you're going to go that day. So um, I follow the road and um, if I like a place, then I, I just stop and, and that's it. Wow. I love that sense of just freedom, you know, as it comes, that's the way it's going to be. Well, Paul, this is a, a simple question for you, but it, it's one that requires some thought and it can differ from one adventurer to the next. 
What is it that motivates and inspires you to do what you do? I don't know. It's the great thing is that it, it of pushing myself to to know what I can or what I can do. Um, I think people in your life motivate you or inspire. I mean, you know, to encourage you to go far beyond what you think what you think is possible. And especially after my spinal issues mm-hmm. and all that, when I met Elizabeth and, you know, <laughs> I thought I was just going to cycle around New Zealand. I was just going to give up my job and cycle around New Zealand. Next minute, you know, uh, I met her and then um, something like the world, <laughs> <laughs> the world was there, you know. Mm. And so um, and then when I look back and it's not what I've done, it's just that like of pushing myself, finding out. And then, of course, travel. Is, is is the great educator, the great school, I, I think. And um, so in, in terms of inspiration and motivation, you have those people in, in your life. And, and I have been blessed uh, by so much by, you know, having Elizabeth. And then, like, I have other friends that have either st- started cycling around the world, like Stephen Beale and um, others. Um, oh, I can name huge amount of number of people that, um, you know, have really gone out there and straight. They may not have had the same issues as what I've had, mm-hmm. but then others have gone through different things in their life that um, I haven't, maybe. Mm. And they've gone out and pushed the boundaries that they thought probably were impossible. Interesting. Now, speaking about pushing yourself, I'm interested to know, how do you weigh up the risks involved in pushing yourself a bit more and a bit further each time with obviously your history of major back problems and surgeries. Is there a fear or concern that, uh, I mean, you could wreck your back at any moment to the point it could land you in a wheelchair for the rest of your life? That is a very good question, Kevin. I don't fear that. When I look back on that moment in time in 1971 when um, I, I fractured my neck, I could have easily have, have ended up in a wheelchair. Yeah. And so from that moment in time, I believe that I, it's what I call, I, I got HD, which is hidden disability. There's so many people out there that got, that have not a visual thing. I'm not in a wheelchair, but, mm-hmm. you know, they have the hidden disability type thing. Mm-hmm. And we can't see that. In terms of fear of ending up in a wheelchair, and I understand the question, mm-hmm. and I do, I don't fear it. I just try and live what I can um, do now. It may I'm not saying it eventuate to that. Mm-hmm. I, I know like what I'm trying to do. I push my body. I mean, even now after Norway, it was probably the toughest cycling I've ever done in my entire life combined. Mm. Um, it, it's massively um, challenging for me. And um, strange enough, I have more pain now than what I had in cycling in Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do what I can do now and, um, you know, to hopefully bring awareness of people that have, have either gone through similar but different and um, I think we're going to go into child loss quite soon yeah. you know so that it's um, yeah it, it, it it's not a fear of me ending up in one mm-hmm. but it, not to say even if I did but even if I did I'll be doing stuff man <laughs> amazing well Paul I read somewhere and you, you touched on it a bit earlier where you said that the best thing for you was to use your bike as therapy, both physically and mentally. It intrigued me. I mean, can you explain this uh, just a little bit more? The therapy, yes, was, um, it's quite hard to explain. It, because I can't stand for too long, um, it might sound strange to people who have not go through the, like actually walking and cycling is better or 
is better for me some movement mm-hmm. rather than just standing in one spot. Like if I sit down on a hard chair, like at this moment I've got three cushions on a chair, so mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than sitting on a on a hard um, surface. Mm. Cycle touring, when people and the listeners may well have, have, well will will know, will know this. So, you know they do a you know they want to get into cycle touring and suddenly like they do a weekend trip and then they do a week trip and then suddenly it gets addictive mm. and um, <laughs> you know they want to do longer rides and all that type of stuff. And um, so for me, in terms of therapy, it's I can see a country by bicycle and and as we mentioned before, you know that you know from the age of eleven and earlier that you know like and my brother too that you know bicycling is a is a part of you and um and then of course there's activities i can't do mm-hmm. and uh, so i've adapted so after when i fractured my neck you know i'm thinking well okay then i can't play rugby or <laughs> being a being a, a kiwi in wales mm-hmm. you're automatically in the rugby team anyway <laughs> and so i can't i couldn't play rugby i couldn't do this and i couldn't do that but you adapt and so uh, um, cycling for me, I, I did kayaking in New Zealand for 11 years, and um, you adapt your life to what you can do, obviously not what you can't, so I can't do a huge amount of things that I'd love to do. Mm. And so in a way, therapy, exercise, being out in the fresh air, and and, and, you know, and, and that type of stuff, it's hard to explain that I just say, okay, then it is my therapy. It's meeting people and 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 traveling yeah. and seeing places. Um, and I was going through a bad depression and I had planned four weeks of cycle touring on it. And, you know, like is exercise, stretch yourself out. Like when you're cycling every day, you want to think, okay, distance, there's the wind, there's the weather, there's uh, where am I going to sleep? What am I going to eat? And then the people that you meet, it occupies your mind. Mm. The worst thing is, is that you're doing nothing, you know? And so I'm not saying for everybody to do cycle touring, mm-hmm. but, exercise get out there you know have some sort of challenge in front of you having somebody to support you i didn't have any support i just had myself (laughs) and so that helped so in a way i could say that was my therapy yeah well said and obviously without a doubt you've endured your fair share of hardships uh, with your spinal problems and and the operations that, however, Paul, it pales in comparison to the loss of your twins out of triplets. Some of our listeners who have lost children of their own will be able to relate. Does this unbelievably difficult moment in your life play a part in your cycling from a psychological perspective? It is a very good question, and I I find it hard to find the answer. I because it happened in 1981. If I could just. Mm-hmm. Highlight a teeny bit. Um, my wife at the time, we had triplets and um, we lost two, one after one day, one after five. And my surviving one is, is still alive. He's age 37 now. And, but major complications throughout his life um, that, he, that he's had through it. And um, again, remember, this is the 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, this was in New Zealand now. And, um, you know, there was no counseling. There was no whatever. I mean, we just got on with life the day afterwards, you mm-hmm. could say. I, I, I went back to work and, um, you know, um, there was a funeral to take care of mm-hmm. and et cetera. Before I did my Norway trip um, in Ireland, if I say this correctly, Felicon, um, mm-hmm. to stillbirth and neonatal death association mm-hmm. of Ireland. Mm-hmm. This is the one I, I, I contacted before I did my Nor- Norwegian trip. And now there's there's support, there's help, and so any listeners that have lost children, I mean, 
um, we lost two out of three. Mm. I mean, they weighed a kilo each. But now, you know, and a loss is a loss. Mm. Back then, we, we just got on. I know it sounds hard, but that was yeah. those were the days. Whereas now, there's a lot more counseling and help. Mm-hmm. And with Neil, the surviving triplet, we were just um, looking after him for months and months. He stopped breathing when we were in Heathrow. When we landed, we came back from New Zealand to the to the UK to live with my mum and brother and he stopped breathing in the Heathrow and um, he turned purple and um, you know we were doing uh, we got straight to the hospital in Heathrow and from then on it was just tough it was just um, so yeah in terms of how it affected us I don't know I don't, I, I, I don't know um, I, it's mm. very hard to answer that one yeah absolutely well Paul let's move on to more pleasant things and it's uh, not just cycling you do last year you did the Camino walk which is a, a long distance hiking trail uh, that crosses from France to the west coast of Spain you had a 10 kilogram backpack on your back uh, and you successfully completed the challenge in 54 days what sort of training did you do in preparation for this and how did this experience compare to the cycling adventures that you have been on? As I had to go back to New Zealand uh, to my job, and um, and then um, I think Elizabeth had done a Camino, the Camino Francais, and then um, I, um, I I wanted a I wanted a different challenge. I thought, well, you know, cycling. I've been cycling now for nearly a year. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't continually a year, but we had two winter breaks, and then. Um, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they know what what's a different challenge I could do, and mm. and, I, and of course. Um, being a lower back operation in 2014 and then cycling 17 countries just less than a year afterwards, mm-hmm. um, I thought, well, what's a different challenge? What can I do? And, I know, and then, of course, Elizabeth done a Camino. And then I thought, well, okay, then I think I'll do a Camino. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But I was, I, I lived about eight kilometers from work. And so I thought, well, okay, then, uh, you know, I, I need to train my back um, for carrying that weight. Uh. So for about Three or four months continually, I walked to work and back um, with round about the same weight and, and so on. And wearing in my boots beforehand and just training my lower back to get used to the weight. Mm. After finishing, I gave up my job. I came back to the UK and then I flew to Brits and then I started the walk. Now, the interesting thing about the walk is um, from St. John Peter Port, you can go over the what's called the Napoleon route, the Pyrenees route. There suddenly, you know, I'm thrust into suddenly walking over the Pyrenees or the Napoleon route at 27 k mm-hmm. And that, you know, is supposed to be the biggest bit. To, you know, this is your initiation. <laughs> and um, and when I did it, I, I, I was, it, it, it went really well. Although my planned route wasn't to do all the Camino Francais. I went up to Urin to do the Camino Norte um, to Bilbao and then came back down to Burgos, etc. Mm. Now, the Camino Norte is like that every day. <laughs> so it's like my job every day was walking. Um, you know, it was tough going. You know, mm. it, was, it was uphill and downhill every day for two weeks or something. And so, um, and then suddenly I came back to the Camino Francais in Burgos and it was flat. Mm-hmm. Well, not flat, but you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like the Queen of Nori. So um, I was extremely surprised on how my back got used to it. My average in 54 days was something like 21 kilometers um, wow. every day. I did 30-odd K someday. I was close to Porta Marine, and um, I, I was within, I don't know, a couple of hundred kilometers of the Santiago. 
And um, I was going to give up because my back was that bad. Um, but I took a rest day and then I started walking 16 k's a day and got into it. And then I finished um, the complete round loop back into San Diego. And so, yeah. yes, I was extremely surprised on how my back did. I can't carry heavier stuff like a tent and food because the Camino, you, you know, you've got your hostels hmm. and, um, you know, you can have your food along the way. So it, it wasn't, I can't, I'll never again carry a big, you know, big hiking backpack, you know, uh, that, um, you know, on a multi-week trip mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the, the mountains. Mm. Well, soon after you completed the Camino walk, you got back on your bike and you cycled the Wild Atlantic Way in Ireland, which is a 2,500-kilometer trip. That was followed by a full circumnavigation of Ireland and uh, you covered 3,000 kilometers of road in the country. How did you find that transition, going from the hiking to getting back on your bike? I was trying to look back on the time span by the time I finished my Camino. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother... I went, my brother lives in South Wales, and then um, after my Camino, I went to his place, and he he went to Austria to do his full Ironman, mm-hmm. and then we came back, and then within so many weeks, I then decided, okay, I'm going to cycle Ireland, and um, so then I caught the ferry to Rossley, and then I started cycling. Um, in terms of transition to walking to biking, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I suppose because I've been cycling for so... Again, we were talked about before about muscle memory. Strange enough, you see, that the uh, I, I caught the ferry from Fishgare to Rossley, and then you bike from Rossley to Kinsale to start the Wild Atlantic Way. So you've got a couple of hundred kilometers already <laughs> before you actually start the official bit. Mm. And then, um, yeah, it's just, uh, again, I think that um, muscle memory and... You know, because cycling's been a part of my life and all that type of stuff. And then when I cycled around, I didn't do the the wild Atlantic way exactly per kilometers. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, plan your own route, do your own thing. And it mm-hmm. rained 40 days out of 46. Wow. <laughs> um, I get up the northwest coast of Ireland. I got interviewed by Brethany. You'd cycle around the world. And mm-hmm. he mentioned to me as the official finish of uh, the wild Atlantic way is in Derry. And um, he said, well, what are you going to do when you get to Derry? And it was the only time I ever got put on my on the spot by thinking, oh, yeah, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, and then I thought, well, I'll, you could either go to Belfast or Dublin and then get over to Wales and cycle down the west coast of Wales and back to my brother's place. Mm. But then by the time I got to Belfast, thinking, well, I could go to Dublin. By the time I get to Dublin, well, I can go to the Wicklow Range, go to Wexford, finish in Rossley, do the circumnavigation of Ireland. Mm. And that was just under 3,000 K. Sure. But I've done more than that in Ireland now. Yeah. And then... Um, that was that. So the transition, um, I found fine. Yeah, oh, right. Well, Paul, being an adventure enthusiast and an endurance athlete in many ways, even with a fused spine, do you think your age gives you an advantage at all to tackle both the cycling and hiking challenges? I turned 60 in Norway, just before Trondheim in Norway. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see young people these days, and I met an 18-year-old Australian guy in Norway cycling, mm-hmm. you know, and um, the opportunities that younger people have today compared to, I mean, when I was a kid, no one traveled. You know, you couldn't afford to travel. Mm-hmm. And um, so in terms of age, age is no barrier in, in that aspect of things, mm-hmm. in terms of what you can do. I mean, Caminos, uh, I've seen a guy push a child on a, on a buggy on, on the Camino, um, you know, and she's like four or five, and she did a bit of walking and then went in the buggy. 
you know, so and also too, you know, family cycle touring with uh, with children, mm. and when I see that, it's just like wow, you know, um, age, you know, sixty, seventy year olds, I'm quite sure, eighty year olds are, are, are doing what I'm doing, or mm. you know, something like that. So when I see, when I see the young people today grabbing the opportunity, stretching themselves and just getting to learn a lot more about people, lifestyle, culture, religion. And, you know, they get a, a much better perspective of the world and, you know, what's probably seen on television. So in terms of age-wise, um, it <laughs> doesn't matter. But the mm. young people today are, are seizing the opportunity that they've got. Absolutely. Well, lastly, Paul, what's next? More adventures on your bike? And uh, when do you think it'll be time to, you know, just settle down? This is a very good question. We're probably the hardest answer to it. Um, where I am now, I'm I, I'm content. The word contentment came into my mind about two weeks before my end of Norway trip, and um, it's a beautiful word when you can look back and you're going, I'm I'm content with what I've done, and and I I am, and the next one I. I had planned to try and do it as soon as possible, but um, it's getting on autumn time here, and that's to walk from Malinhead to Mizinhead, and that's mm-hmm. from the northernmost point of Ireland to the southern point of Ireland. Um, I would really like to do that, and that would be my contentment for Ireland finished. Mm-hmm. In terms of um, other things, it, a lot of the things involves time, money, and effort, mm-hmm. and um, probably money won't, you know, it, it's not going to see me all the way right through, but... Um, yeah, money does come uh, plays into it, mm. but I would like to do that, the Malinhead to Mizinhead walk without a backpack. I'll mm. do it with a buggy, and because um, it'll involve a tent this time, it's not a Camino. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do another. I mean, the Camino catches you. It, it you know, for different reasons. It's either spiritual or there's physical or whatever. But it's a it's a beautiful experience because you will meet people from different countries every single day. Mm. I mean, it's different from cycle touring. Uh, cycle touring, you might not meet that many people. Um, I probably only met maybe a dozen people on my trip where you sat down, talked with, mm. and et cetera, but on a Camino. So, yeah, a Camino. But my lower back is playing up a lot more now, mm-hmm. actually not go, not being on the bike. Mm-hmm. So um, those are my two things. One, I'd like to do that um, at some stage. And um, yeah, and the word contentment is is a is a beautiful word to have, and it's a beautiful part actually in your life to be in, where you're going, yeah, uh, I'm content with what I've done. Yeah, that sense of being content truly is uh, gratifying in many ways. Well, Paul, many people with the sort of back problems and spinal fusion surgery you have had usually just give up on life afterwards. You, however, are embracing it and using it as motivation. Thank you so much for sharing your unbelievably inspiring story with us on the Hard as Nails podcast and all the best for the next big adventure. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you and appreciate it so much.